Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me on this week's Tell Us How to Make It Better podcast. If you've ever built or remodeled a house, you probably know that there are all kinds of things that can go wrong as you are going through the project. And the question is, could you have done anything about it to avoid those problems happening to you? If the answer is yes, which I'm pretty sure it is for most of you, you're going to enjoy this week's podcast because my guest has a comprehensive training program to help you avoid those mistakes. I'm George Siegel, and this is the Tell Us How to Make It Better podcast. Your home is probably your biggest investment, and every week we show you warning signs and solutions to help you protect it. Tell Us How to Make It Better is partnering with The Readiness Lab, the home for podcasts, webinars, and training in the field of emergency and disaster services. My guest today is Monica Zasada, who for the last two decades has been helping avoid the notorious horrors of evaporating money, shoddy quality, shady contractors, and never-ending work and nervous breakdowns when home renovating and building. Monica, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate your time today. Thank you for the invite, George. I really love your episodes. I think we will have a lot of fantastic subjects to touch upon. We really do. We have so many things to talk about. And the main thing that uh, that drew, drew me to you when I saw you out there in the universe was this master class, because you're all about educating the consumer so they can make better choices. Tell me about that. Tell me about the class. Well, um, having practiced in the industry for quarter of a century, I can't believe how old I am. I have noticed and also having heard many confessions from homeowners, I realized that there really isn't a comprehensive and unbiased education available for homeowners. By comprehensive, I mean not some dribs and drabs and clips and YouTube videos or some some overblown and dramatized episodes of extreme home own, uh, extreme home makeovers or HDTV episodes or property brothers episodes they are all great for you for design inspiration but they are not the source of any reliable information. So that's the comprehensive part of education that I mentioned. And the unbiased part is this. Most people think that contractors are criminals and shady characters. And most people think or feel intimidated by design professionals. So be it an interior designer or an architect, most people feel they don't have the tools, the means, the narrative, the verbiage to express their needs and desires with the design professionals. And then there are there are homeowners who think they don't feel like they can't or they won't invest in their education and hiring professionals. And it would be quite all right if they educated themselves in the responsibilities and tasks that these professionals normally provide in a project. You, you know, and I would think most people probably don't think they need that. They probably think, well, I'm just going, if, if they're looking at a model house, they think everything's going to be perfect. If they watch HGTV, they think there's always a happy ending. Nobody gets sued. Nobody is in a house that's falling apart. And the reality is more often than not, there are problems. Now, does your class deal with existing housing stock? Does it deal with brand new homes if you're building or, or does it kind of cover both? 
So the brilliance of my class, and I'm quoting my students, is that no matter the size of the project or geographical location, my class does apply because certain things will always remain the same despite of these two elements, which is the first and critical decision that you must make. That's one thing you need to decide upon. Second is the understanding of the importance of hiring of, of professionals, understanding that your project has four phases and not what most people think, just two phases. Well, some people just rush into work and jump into construction phase of their project without any preparation with disastrous results. Then there is money control, and it's also done in three steps. And then finally is the importance of the maintenance. Just because you renovate it or build a house, and again, my class applies to any of the scenarios, your kitchen renovation, your, your bathroom remodel, your, your garage conversion into an office, finishing of the basement, putting an addition of your house or building a new house. These things apply and maintenance is super important. Just because you've done the project doesn't mean you are done with the project. You need to maintain your home. Well, let me ask you this now. If if I'm having my kitchen remodeled or I'm having something done around my house, I can interview and, and, and vet out contractors and try to hire the person that I think can do the job. If I'm buying a, a new house, I do not know who the subs were that worked on that project. And inevitably, that's always what comes back to bite me is the builders that I've hired hire the lowest bidder or that they have their in-house people that they like. And they're usually people that suck. And so when when you get down the road, the guy that built the pool was bad. The guy that did the landscaping was bad. The company that did the electric, the plumber was sloppy. How does a person who's in a construction project have any influence over the quality of the subs that the builder uses? Well, you don't. You, you as a, or, or a homeowner really doesn't. That's why it is so important to source the correct, trustworthy contractor. And because most people always want to get everything at the lowest price, it comes with these problems. But if you vet the contractor in the right way, so ask around, go to the building department and ask the building inspector whether they worked with a contractor, whether the building inspector performed the, the inspections in the house to make sure that you do indeed have insulation in the walls, that your windows are indeed energy efficient, that your heating and air conditioning ducts and venting and equipment is to code and sufficient. So there are ways to ensure that. But again, people go with the least expensive contractor. It should also be the contractor that has deep roots within the community and not someone that just say appeared in your area, you know, six months before. And now all of a sudden they are developers, they are building a home and then you buy, you know, a home from a developer that's a completely different and and oftentimes the developer is a contractor so they they take upon themselves the role of a contractor it is a totally different thing when you are hiring a general contractor to build the house to measure to cast to build a custom home for you now i always think it's a good idea too when the builder gives you 
uh, the list of happy customers if you want to talk to people. That's not really the list I want to go to because obviously that's like my, you know, my my sister recommending me for a job versus uh, finding out who the people are that don't like them. When I read Google reviews, I want to read the bad ones, not just the good ones. So you really have to dig a little bit. So my question to you then would be, why are people so lazy about this? Why are we so accepting of this transaction when it's likely the biggest thing we will ever buy for most of us? Why do we not do naturally do the kind of things that you're teaching? You know what? When I know the answer to this question, I will make sure to share it with you, George, because it just amazes me. It shocks me how irresponsible homeowners are and they choose to become ignorant and not invest in their education. I, it, I have no idea. Sometimes I am literally speechless when I hear comments, you know, when I'm in a restaurant and I hear people talking about their upcoming projects and how smart they were that they, you know, they, they accepted the lowest bid. And it's just, it's, it's just rubbish. It's, it's just an irresponsible behavior that leads to disastrous results and all the horror stories one hears. Now, another thing that I think people don't think about is they're very drawn to the eye candy. I say people like the icing on the cake rather than the ingredients. And most people don't really dig down and find out the safety features that are in their house. They might not know um, where the hurricane brackets used. They might not know uh, how the walls mounted to the ceiling, to the floor. Did they put closed foam insulation in the, in, the, in, the, in the attic to keep it cooler and keep it from the roof from blowing off? Um, Shouldn't people be a lot more concerned about how safe their house is? Because we see houses get wiped out every year by disasters. They absolutely should, George. And here is a little story from my own experience. In a project that I was doing years ago, uh, a homeowner didn't blink her eyelash paying for an antique fireplace surround, which I believe was $35,000 which included the cost of schlepping it from Italy. And yet she wouldn't, she couldn't understand why the cost of flashing, her chimney flashing and through flashing was 7,500. And I explained to her that flashing is something that actually keeps water from entering her house and possibly ruining her precious Italian fireplace around. Why do people do it? I don't know. I guess it's because this fireplace surround, right, or tile on your wall is something that you can appreciate, whereas structural steel, proper framing lumber, proper insulation, something that is hidden behind the walls cannot be appreciated. So in a way, I do understand why, why we are drawn to something that's just available for us to feast our eyes upon. But we do need to be mindful of what goes behind the walls. We really because do not. We can, you can be living in a crumbling palace. Absolutely. I live in Florida and uh, uh, about a half a mile from us is right on the bay. And there were two houses being built by the same builder. Um, and one had steel and, and concrete block the other one had wood on the second floor. And these were houses that were probably five to $10 million houses. And yeah. I'm scratching my head going, are you kidding me? Why is this? And I called the builder and I said, why are you doing that? 
He goes, because that's what the customer wanted. They wanted the different depths in the house, the bump outs and the different things where you couldn't necessarily do block on both floors. But they're choosing vanity and a look they wanted from the street over safety because that house is nowhere near as safe as the concrete house. That just is insane to me. It is insane. And and you see, a responsible contractor would sometimes well I, I think that the role of a responsible contractor is also educating the clients and sometimes the best thing to do is talk the client out of their ideas the responsible thing is to do exactly that but it's just it's just i can't really understand it's a business decision why a contractor would would accept the client's ideas i mean he will I'm sure his house comes with warranties. So if it blows away, he will be legally obligated to deal with that. Well, those those contracts are pretty thin on what the builder's responsible for after it's uh, just a little bit down the road. And Mm. what I learned when I was living in Texas is it's very hard to sue builders because you have to go to arbitration. So if you have a problem with the guy building your house, you don't even get your day in court. I don't think it's a jury in the world that's going to side with the builder because everybody's had their headaches. But the reality is it's hard to cure the problem and it takes a long time. So with all that in mind, what I'd like to see is what you're doing, educating people so they can avoid this. Proactive to me is always better than reactive. Absolutely. And also, you know, the unbiased part of my education comes from the fact that when I act as a curator which is an owner's representative. I am the client's advocate. I do make sure that it is not the contractor's agenda or the architect's agenda that are the primary focus, that it is the needs and desires of the client. Does the client always know? It Does your, does your class wake them up to, okay, you like this, but you're really better off if you think this way because all that eye candy is not going to save you when the water is rising in your house or if the wind blows it down. Yes, they they well they do say that, you know, my masterclass saves their sanity that they never thought to look at their project from the perspective that I give that I present things in a conversational and easy to digest manner. So I don't use, you know, industry lingo to sound important or knowledgeable. It's, it's, I, I do it from the, from the perspective of a homeowner because I myself renovated two homes and then of course curated many, many homes to life, starting from, my very first project was a kitchen renovation whose budget was exactly $34,050. And my most um, my most significant project was an island development, which is uh, wh- which whose worth is 100 million. And then anything in between. So um, so yes, I do I do know a thing or two about construction and what a homeowner, should really do to become a, an educated and hence empowered person. Do you think we should let people live wherever they want? That's a controversial issue in this in this country because everybody has their freedoms, everybody has their rights. But if somebody chooses to put a house out in the middle of the woods with very few ways out if there's a fire, or they choose to put it right by the water where storm surge is going to wipe it out, 
when it gets wiped out, society pays for it. Everybody's insurance goes up. Should there be some kind of restrictions on where we're allowed to build, you think? Yes, I think there should be studies that take into consideration the population, the demographic, the safety issues, the the specificity, the specificity of the area, and and then historic, you know, data about the weather of a given of a given area. Absolutely. Now I love those shows on HGTV. I'm I'm an addict for watching them. But they always have a problem that pops up during a project and within 30 minutes, everything is solved and everything is smooth. In in the real world, it doesn't always go that way. Don't, do you think those shows give us false expectations? Absolutely. You you can't renovate a kitchen. You, you cannot do a gut renovation of the kitchen for $5,000 or demolish your entire apartment on a lunch break. This is, the, I, I believe the shows... The shows are not the shows themselves are perhaps not the problem, but people thinking that they, that they reflect the reality is the problem. And yes, I do like to watch them sometimes, but again, only only for design inspiration. Because as a homeowner, we do have the responsibility. One is to educate ourselves as to the process and the smart way of handling your project and also knowing what it is that you want to, for you to be able to define the scope of work. And by that, I don't just mean what the what it is that, that, that things look like, which is the aesthetic, which is why we are drawn to those HDTV shows because they look so fantastic and so desirable. We are salivating over them. It is also the function of your, of your place. So for a mother with three children and two dogs who is for the most part of her day covered with saliva or vomit, right? The foyer of Carrie Bradshaw from Sex and the City that was sporting beautiful antique round table with a gargantuan vase of flowers is not going to work for you as a mother. You need a chic because I believe you can still have something that's functional chic. You need a chic sturdy entrance. You need a huge closet to shove all the strollers and the leashes and the backpacks of your children and dogs. You need a nice bench on which, you, on which you can sit to prepare your children and dogs for leaving the apartment. You need hooks, you need cubbies, you need drawers, you need things for you to function well. So again, knowing the scope of work, which encompasses the aesthetic and how we do certain things in our home is super important. And a lot of things, and a lot of people have no clue what it is, how to have a house that is, that is aesthetically pleasing and that actually supports your lifestyle. It's so important. Now, do you tell your clients to think beyond what just what they want and think about what might happen five years down the road when they go to sell the house? Because whenever I've bought a house and we've walked around and go, okay, this might not be perfect. This might not be perfect. Whenever we went to sell it, that was the first thing people noticed. So if there wasn't enough closet space, they noticed. If the driveway was too steep and you couldn't get a sports car up it, they noticed. Anything that was wrong was the first thing people found. So how do you encourage people's mindset to be in terms of thinking beyond them living in the house? Well, you see, my my advice is actually not to worry about the potential future buyers, because how could you possibly 
be able to guess what it is they would want. You can buy, I mean, my clients sometimes buy homes with a perfectly, seemingly perfectly good kitchen. Do you know what we do? We rip everything out because they happen to be avid, avid uh, foodies. And they have, very, they have a very specific way of how they want their spices to be. They don't want to have this pull-out kitchen cabinet that has spices organized on the, on the metal racks, okay, on the shelving from up down. They want their racks in a drawer, nicely lying there like people on lounge, on lounge chairs, okay? Who would know? Some people love the upper cabinets to have glass fronts and be and be uh and have lights inside. Some people hate it because again, they have family with children and they shove very, you know, very unsightly looking uh, cereal boxes there, and they do not want this to be highlighted, spotlighted in their kitchen, right? So my advice is don't wor- don't worry about the future buyer. I didn't. In my first house, for instance, in my primary bathroom, I refused to put a bathtub. Every realtor told me, Monica, you are out of your mind. You must have a tub in your master bath. I am not a bath person. I am a shower person. I invested in this beautiful beautiful thermostatic exposed shower that made me think of of a of a european hotel i spent 10 times more money which also people thought i was crazy because i could have had a perfectly fine shower fixture for one tenth of that but my investment in it every time i would go and take a shower i would just sigh a sigh of pleasure and then when i went to sell my house my narrative my narrative about the house made one woman fall in love with my house. She bought it with a with a first um, with a first open house for which I provided the narrative. The number was thirteen, which a lot of people perceive as an unlucky number, and I prepared a list of thirteen unique features of this house. And I highlighted certain things. I highlighted the thermostatic shower and not the fact that I didn't have a tub. So my advice is don't worry about the future buyers. Sure. I, I, I get it on stuff like that. I, I, in, in my instance, closet space, if you don't have closet space, I, I don't know how you would put that in a, of your 13 I things. That. I second that. I have so much storage space in my house. I actually stole parts of my rooms to create closets. I actually converted one bedroom into a walk-in closet. And then of course, realtors are telling me, Monica, are you crazy? How could you have converted a bedroom into a walk-in closet? Everybody who comes to my house loves the fact that now I have an upper primary suite and not just primary bedroom because I have a primary bedroom, a converted bedroom into a walk-in closet and a beautiful bathroom in which I, again, don't have a tub. I love it. Absolutely. Storage, storage, storage. I don't think you can have enough of that. And um, I, I think people tend to kind of push that aside when in reality you get one chance at it. I had a guy on who was a garage, uh, the guy that does the finished garages. And he said, when you're building your house, maybe ask for a couple extra feet 
because getting that space and having that storage space is something you really get one shot at in a garage. Inside, maybe you can knock out walls and do a room, but it's important to think all that stuff through, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. That's why I am encouraging people to really spend months, if not years, to educate yourself. And again, think of how their existing house could work better for them. What is wrong with the flow? What is missing? It's it's just, but again, people don't want to reflect. People don't want to explore. People are impatient. It's just, again, disaster, disaster in the making. Absolutely. And also uh, something I think is important is to research the neighborhood and understand what's happening there and the history of that neighborhood. When we moved here, the main reason we bought this house was it was a beautiful tree-lined street. Well, a few months after we moved in, they cut down every tree for a, mm -hmm. a sewer project. The builder uh -huh. didn't tell us that. The realtor didn't tell us that. Now, if we had done research, we probably would have found that out, but we just didn't even think about it. I mean, you really have to know the area, don't you? Absolutely. Yes. And I mean, you know, when, when you are considering the area, yes, I would tell you to visit it at multiple times a day to see how the sun is traveling. Would you want the sun hitting the rooms at a certain time of the day? Like, I don't like waking up with the sun in my face. So my bedroom is not facing the east. So there are all these things, but again, it takes time and it takes responsibility to think these things through. And never live on a golf course. We 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 built a house that was on a golf course and we're not real good golfers. And the salesman told us, you'll never get golf balls in this yard. We got pelted by so many golf balls on a regular basis. And the model home where he was working was not on the golf course. So we used to collect the balls and toss them into the backyard of the model home as a uh, just a way of thanking him. But you you're living on a golf course is a roll of the dice. Well, I haven't heard about the, you know, the balls hitting the windows, but I do have my friend's sister lives on the golf course and she absolutely adores it. I guess no golf balls in her pro on, you know, in her yard. I don't know how how that is possible, but she kind of loves this look of the pristinely manicured and maintained grass and there is a fountain you know in front of her window which is sort of on the on the edge of the golf course and beautiful beautiful landscape around it so maybe she got lucky and she just you know is reaping the benefits of the of the of the view without the the dangers that you we're unfortunate recipient of. <laughs> There's no question she got lucky. And also golfers smoke cigars. They smoke cigarettes. They stop and talk waiting for their next shot. So where you are on the golf course is crucial. You uh -huh. could have a place that's their hangout. You could have a place where the bar cart, we used to call it the cart wench, would stop and uh, give people drinks. And it could be right in your backyard. So while you're having your dinner party, people are smoking cigars and drinking right outside your house. So... There, there, there's a lot to think about. So, yeah, I guess we could talk about all my bad luck for for hours, but just get, getting back to what more, might be more common for other people. If I'm looking to buy a house, tell me the first thing I should do. Get, what's my step one? Oh, so you mean you are talking about buying a built house by a developer? Yes, I'm looking at a. So let's say it's a new neighborhood going up, and there, uh, I seen the model home. And they're building up this neighborhood. What's the first plan of a step in my plan of action that I might want to think about? 
Well, I would check the track record of the developer, see his other development areas, talk to people, ask the developer to give you the three most horrific projects he has done and let them talk to the people to whom he sold the house. Also check with a you know better business bureau are there any pending cases against that that developer. I would do that. And I and you see I would I don't think I personally would ever buy a spec house. I don't think I would because you really can't know what 100% what is in those walls. You can't so I would prefer to build to buy a house that is a fixer upper and then take it up on myself to renovate it with the reputable contractor and the architect to support me in that in that endeavor. Yeah, I think another thing people don't think about when they buy in those new neighborhoods is initially the developer has all the seats on the homeowners association and they control it. And it's not until the neighborhood gets further down the road that the homeowners actually have more weight in the decisions. So you can really be at their whim for a number of years, and they're going to decide what's in their best interest. Hmm. All the more reasons not to buy a spec house. Yeah. Now, when you're remodeling, though, like you're talking about, and you start tearing out the walls in an older home, is there a risk in that? It's like, careful what you might find. You might find that all the electrical is now below code. You might find asbestos in the ceiling. I mean, when you start uh, kicking the tires, is it careful what you might find? Absolutely. But before buying a house, you need to hire an engineer and insist if there is any sign, sagging walls, doors not closing, windows not, not closing, some uh, signs of... Uh, leaks. You hire an engineer and you ask for permission to open certain section of the walls before you purchase. So an engineer's opinion is vital. Well, have you seen this much where you are because it's it, it's a, a lot of it's going on here where people are buying houses and because the market's so competitive, it's cooled off recently. They were buying them with no inspection contingency. They were just saying, we'll waive the inspection contingency. They just were buying the house. Hmm. That seems pretty risky to me. Yes, it is risky, but perhaps, you know, and and I do realize that the Hamptons are very specific. Some people just are dying to have a second home here. And yes, they are perhaps in a financial position not to have to worry, even if it turns out that they have to rebuild the house in its entirety. It's the location, location, location situation here so uh but regardless yes i think you should absolutely you know insist on on, on some independent engineer you know who works for you not not who works for the seller by that's what i mean by independent to do the inspection a thorough inspection yeah i mean that that, that seems crucial because if, if you don't know what's there the whole thing can really go downhill fast if all of a sudden your budget says, well, now you have to do all new plumbing because the the lead pipes in there are now no longer to code and they're dangerous. Absolutely. But then again, it's 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 relatively easy to be inspected. You can go to the basement, right, and look in, in the ceiling and look at the water lines. And then again, you know, 
you know, open perhaps the wall in a closet to see what kind of piping is in the bathroom. So, so uh, the engineer's report and the engineer's walkthrough visit are, are absolutely vital. Now, when you're hiring a contractor or you're using a builder, how important is it to have access to knowing the management structure of that company? So to know who the person you're dealing with and where they are in the in the food chain there, are you dealing with the owner? Are you dealing with his, his uh, manager? Because when you, I think it's important to have access to the head guy at the company, but a lot of places don't give you that information. Well, then again, you know, part of the vetting process is the visit. You must absolutely visit the contractor's office, see what kind of staff do they have. And I say he because in my 25-year career, I am yet to work with a female contractor. So I'm saying he, and it could be a she also. I'm, I'm just talking from my experience, right? So you visit the office. And then just because someone is an owner of a contra- of general contracting company, it is, it is not necessarily you know, uh, an assurance of success if you have the, the the head guy, as you call it. The most important thing is whether your project is going to be properly staffed. So is the contractor giving you a project manager? Is the contractor giving you a foreman slash job site supervisor? And is there, is there enough staff in the office to do proper billing, to handle the paperwork? Right. So the the project manager is someone who has a liaison between you and and an overall oversight of the project. The foreman slash job site supervisor is someone who is on the on your in your home or as we call it on the job site, directing all the trades and really accepting deliveries and, you know, doing the quality control. And again, the assistant project manager in the office doing all the paperwork, a lot of contractors. So. And, and then, of course, there are contractors who are just perhaps starting and they are wearing all the heads. It doesn't necessarily mean that your project is going to be, you know, a horror story. It really is the ability to, to control the project and always being mindful that it's not just the progress of the work, but also, for instance, updating your budget. Make sure one of the huge horror stories, of course, has to do with evaporating money, right? So it abs- it's it's yet another I am just absolutely flabbergasted when I find out from other people that they never got a budget breakdown there are 16 cost categories and I'm teaching that in my free masterclass there are 16 cost categories that your project should be divided into and then depending on the specificity and complexity of the pro of your project there are also subcategories i mean in one of the projects that i did we had 137 line items for total cost transparency and before paying your contractor you must ask for a budget report and it has to include seven columns which you can also find out in my masterclass my masterclass is an absolute foundation Absolutely. I, I would. I, I wish I had taken it before uh, some of the purchases that I made. And one of the main reasons is, if you don't go in fully organized, to me, one of the ways you can really get killed in a project is change orders and mm-hmm. the markup that they attach to that. So they might add on 20% or 25% because you're changing something. And so being organized and avoiding that can save you a lot of money. 
Absolutely. And change and, and spending enough time in the design phase, which is one of the four phases of the project, which I also am teaching in my masterclass will minimize those change orders. Because sometimes also in the defense of a contractor, people don't understand that when the walls are completely closed and all of a sudden they decide they, they actually, you know what? I would actually like my sink somewhere else. It is a big deal because they have to take 10 steps back. So again, uneducated homeowners are part of the problem and building industry is a mess. It's absolutely a mess. Always, always having the procedures and processes, which I, and I teach a better process to follow, right? That, that creates this toxic environment when all the parties involved, which is homeowners and design professionals and, and contractors always have to spend their energy defending their positions rather than being a collaborative team with a, with a, with the same goal, which is making a homeowner happy. And again, my masterclass using 25 years of my expertise is the first step you can take. So how important is it to make sure everything's perfect before you finish paying them? It's a lot easier to get them to finish when you still aren't 100% paid. Absolutely. So you need to make sure that your architect and yourself and the contractor before making the final payment walk around and look at everything with a magnifying glass, come up with what's called punch list, which is all the still outstanding items to be finished. So perhaps there is a screw missing in your shower drain, right? Or the window doesn't close, or you received the wrong hardware for your doors, or the floor creaks, or some tile is, is cracked. All that goes on the punch list and the final payment is not made until the punch list is 100% finished. Now, we touched on this in the very beginning before we started recording. Um, I just got back from Italy where I love the architecture there. I just I marvel at how they build all those churches and those buildings. Every arch looks perfect, and they were probably building it with primitive things. Here in this country, I've worked with builders that couldn't make a straight arch. It's like, why is it so difficult to match the quality that we appear to see in historic places like that? Because I think there are enough homeowners who are willing to accept substandard quality. We are allowing, we homeowners, by we I mean myself also, we homeowners are allowing this situation to perpetuate. We are so it has to start with us. We have to demand better. We have to demand better. But in order to demand something, you need to have knowledge to know what you are demanding. Yeah, very well said. If you don't know, if you if you can't tell them what you want, it's very hard to complain if you don't get it, right? Absolutely. Or even what you should want, what kind of quality, what kind of things you should insist upon, right? You don't yeah. know what you don't know. How can you demand what you don't know? We could probably do an entire other show if I just went over each problem that I've had every time I've bought a house and you would say to me, if you took my master class, that wouldn't have happened to you. That's a great beginning. The master it is. Beginning, for sure. Absolutely. Well, the link to your class will be in the show notes, and I hope everybody checks it out. 
Um, I'm not moving for a while, but I am curious to hear what the what the class is about, just because out of frustration with uh, with the industry and then links to your social media as well. Monica, thank you so much for your time today. I, I really have enjoyed uh, listening to what you have to say. Same here, George. It was a fantastic talk. Thank you so much for having me as a guest. Thank you so much for joining me on today's Tell Us How to Make a Better podcast. As I mentioned, all of Monica's contact information is in the show notes. And there's also a link to a contact form that goes directly to me. If you've had a good or bad experience building or remodeling something with your home, I'd love to hear about it. Maybe you'll end up being a guest on an upcoming episode of the podcast. And if you enjoyed what you were listening to, please become a subscriber so you don't miss an episode. A new one comes out every Tuesday. Thanks for joining me today. See you next time.